Well, hey, friend, welcome to Java with Julie, hosted by me, Julie Slattery. I'll remind you that this is a listener-supported podcast, and it's an outreach of Authentic and Receipt, which is a ministry dedicated to reclaiming God's design for sexuality. Well, pain and grief are unwelcome parts of the human experience, and they come in a lot of different forms. Your pain might be coming from suffering through sickness, might be navigating unwanted or unmet longings, or experiencing any number of marital or relational issues. No matter who you are, nothing really seems to fully prepare you for specific challenges and pain that you just smack right up against. And the same is true of my guests today, Ed and Lisa Young. They are the founding pastors of Fellowship Church in Grapevine, Texas, and the authors of a new book called The Path Through Pain. Ed and Lisa have experienced a type of pain that many parents hope and pray that they never have to walk through, the loss of a child. Just over two years ago, Ed and Lisa's oldest child, their daughter, Lee Beth, passed away after a battle of mental health issues and addiction that for many years had stolen her peace and her joy and been a huge concern for those around her. Ed and Lisa, in the midst of that, knew to turn to God for comfort and leaned into his hope and made some pretty surprising discoveries about pain and grief along the way. And I don't know what you might be walking through today. Maybe what Ed and Lisa experienced is actually your greatest fear. And maybe what you need to hear is that no matter what we walk through, God is not going to forsake us. Let's head to the coffee shop for my conversation with Ed and Lisa Young. Well, Ed and Lisa, thanks so much for joining me for Job with Julie. And Lisa, you already showed me you've got your job ready to go. So Yes, I do. Yeah, so it's, it's authentic. I've got mine here too. Yes, yes. Well, you and I uh, have are here to discuss a hard topic and one that is very real to you. You lost your daughter a little over two years ago. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And she was how old? 34. 34. Yeah, 34 years old. Yeah. And uh, over the course of the last two years, God led you to, to write a book and just talking about how you survived through that pain and what that grief was like and how the Lord really has become your anchor through that. And as we talk to folks today, there are some who are walking through a similar loss and grief, and they really need that message of hope that you have to share and uh, boy, I know so many other parents who fear the very thing that you've experienced. They fear the physical death of their children, the spiritual death of their children. Uh, so many are walking through that right now. So thank you for your willingness uh, to speak not only out of your pastoral experience, but uh, far more powerfully out of your personal experience. Thank you for having you. us. We're we're eager to share. And it is so true, Julie, about just the kaleidoscopic range of pain that people deal with. I know you deal with so many people in different uh, stages who are in different ages who are processing pain. And pain, as we're going to share a little bit, is universal. But the good news is we can walk through pain. Not that you ever completely and totally get over it, Mm -hmm. but God... I truly believe leverages it for greatness. Mm -hmm. When did you feel like you were ready to start even ministering out of your pain? I mean, to a 
a little over two years ago, two and a half years ago, that's mm-hmm. not a long time to process no. the loss of a child. That's a great question. You know, our, our daughter, Lee Beth, passed away in our home. She, just to make a long story short, she'd had a really rough weekend. She was a binge drinker and she mixed that with Adderall. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, it didn't really affect her performance that much. But Lisa was out of town seeing her mom, who was in poor health. And then I picked Lee Beth up. We tried to sober her up and she was asleep in this little playroom close to my office. And so I was writing a sermon on Abraham and Isaac, and I just wrote the words, Abraham placed Isaac on the altar and boom, I heard this eerie sound and I called Lee Beth's name, ran into the playroom and in essence, she she was gone. Mm. So I, I remember, you know, asking God to heal her right there in the name of Jesus, heal her. But, you know, we, we should pray for healing. God does heal. However, we have to always say, God, your will needs to be done. So at that moment in time, after Lisa and I began to cry and talk and, and pray, we just went back to that altar situation. And we said, okay, God, we're going to put this on your altar and wherever it takes us, we're going to share it. So I would say surprisingly and shockingly soon we began to share and minister to people. I remember we got a phone call from some friends of ours we'd not seen in a long time and they had recently lost a child and, and, and we were able to have that connection there. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. As Ed said, pain is universal. So whatever the pain you're walking through, there's always someone close by who's also walking through pain. It may be a different type of pain for us. It was years of addiction and just dealing with our daughter, struggling with anxiety, depression, and self-medicating. But again, this is having a child pass away is an out-of-order death, Mm -hmm. and it's something that no parent prepares for, and it's definitely a club you do not want to belong to. But the night that Lee Beth passed away, uh, my phone rang. Ed and I were laying in bed and just contemplating everything, wondering if we would ever even fall asleep. And it was the voice on the other end was someone who I had not spoken to in over 12 years, but we had been friends. We'd been neighbors. And, and she just, she said, I can't believe you answered the phone. And I had vaguely recognized the phone number, but their daughter had taken her life. I think it was like four years ago at that point. And she said, I just had to reach out. And that's the message, I think, of this book. One of the messages is that everyone is going through some type of pain and you definitely don't want to isolate. I appreciate the fact that she reached out to me and then Ed and I in turn decided, you know what, we will not waste this pain. We will not allow Satan to use it. We will put it at the altar of God and let him use it. And let's just see what what he does. Because it's so easy to swim laps in the pool of regret. We go back and forth. I would have, I should have. And it could be in a situation like we have have been processing. It could be a situation where 
maybe your children or, or your teenager is having some issues with same-sex attraction. It could be substance. It could be pornography. It could be all, all sorts of things. And as parents, we want to swim in that pool and go, oh, I would have, I should have, I messed up or whatever. And we all uh, have fallen short, but there's a nail-pierced hand that's extended to us in that pool of regret, and he wants to take us out of it. And he has something beautiful for us in the midst of that pain. And and when we can see that, even though we're going to have doubts and questions and anger, that's part of it. But when we can see that and we can move from why me to what now, then things, you, you begin to see how God is using that. But the Bible does not give us a bunch of explanations about the whys, but really it's more about the promises of God. So as opposed to just always focusing on the pain, the pain, the pain, within the pain, we have to focus on the promises of God and get out of that pool and begin to live because God has great things in store for us, even in the midst of our pain. Mm. It sounds in some ways like you all had to let Lee Beth go before she passed away, that there was a releasing as she struggled with mental health issues and addictions. And can you talk a little bit about what that was like? So Lee Beth was a very high achiever. As a child, she was you know, a member of the National Honor Society. She studied hard. She had attention deficit disorder, which I think everybody in our family pretty much has some sort of it. And so she worked really hard to overcome some learning obstacles and succeeded. She was a great employee of Fellowship Church. She was a great member of this team. And that seems so ironic in the face of her, the tragedy of her death, but she was highly creative and all of these different things, but there was just this um, anxiety and depression, which I think so many young people struggle with. Mm -hmm. I, we can attribute it to a lot of different things. You know, technology certainly doesn't help how focused we are on comparing ourselves to others through Instagram, Facebook, whatever. But she had had a series of difficult relationships and poor choices. And I, would just say that it was a downward spiral, taking alcohol as a medication, so to speak, or a social thing. Then it just spiraled into she had trouble with addiction. And it was even to the point that some of the doctors that she saw did not think she was a typical addict as I guess because of the binge drinking verse, and it was only so often. It wasn't like all the time. But then toward the end, she did, I would say when, to answer your question, as far as like having to just lay her on that altar was when she went to rehab for the first time. And well, she only went to rehab one time, but that was just, I mean, you just ask yourself, how in the world did we get to this place? Mm -hmm. How in the world did she get to this place? So I would just say, especially to parents who maybe are struggling right now in the midst of a situation, that was so hard, just being in the middle and not knowing what to do to give help. But I will tell you that 30, 
well, now when she was born, a baby, we dedicated her to the Lord. You know, the parent-child dedication mm-hmm. at church. We went on the stage. The congregation prayed with us, and the church supported us. And at that time, it seems like just an a ceremony, if you will. Mm-hmm. But that was truly a time where we laid Lee Beth, the baby Lee Beth, on the altar. And looking back, God gave us 34 years to steward this gift. And that's our role as parents. And we're never guaranteed the next day. There's people mm-hmm. who are dealing with children who have cancer, who have oh, yeah. you know, physical disabilities, all these different things. And we are not guaranteed anything other than God is with us through it all. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's an, uh, such an important reminder, and it reminds us to not hold so tightly, regardless of how old your kids are. Ed, you mentioned this, and I'd love to go back to it. How do you not swim in regret? You know, Lisa, you use the word steward. My husband yeah. and I have three sons, and they're young adults now, and so we're in that stage of looking back <laughs> on the time we had with them and like, some of it we know we stewarded well, and others we wish we could have a do-over. And how do you navigate that of acknowledging, yes, there's some things that we didn't do well, but we can't swim in that. There's a, a tension there. I think just what you said, just I still jump in the pool now and then. I think that's normal. You can read the book of Psalms and, and see David and what he processed. So yeah, you're always going to think those thoughts, but I believe if a, you put this situation on the altar and sometimes you have to do that before God daily. And you have to do that multiple times from there. If you can intentionally involve yourself in the church, which, you know, the church is the living, breathing body of Christ. You know, the one and others are used so much and and so many people in the church have and are going through the same things that you are. And then on top of that, just simply surrender regularly and say, God, I want to follow the footsteps that you've established for my life. Even in this pain, I know you have a path for me to tread, and I want to do it for your glory. And when we do that, even normal, what we would call normal conversations and situations can be those amazing God moments and those opportunities to receive healing but also to share with others your story of God's glory. And, and, you know, when you have a painful situation, people listen like never before. This has galvanized our church mm-hmm. like I've never seen. Now, of course, I would take Lee Beth back mm-hmm. and trade that for that, but I would say that. I would say also that Lisa and I have had the opportunity, just on a personal level, not being a part of an amazing podcast like this. I mean, this, of course, too, but we've had so many opportunities to deal with people one-on-one that we would have never, ever 
had the opportunity to share with. On top of that, people now pay attention <laughs> pay attention to us, our story more than they used to. Like, you know, being a pastor is life in the fishbowl. You know, it's life in the aquarium. Now, though, it's on another level because it's it's as if people are going, okay, you've been preaching about the gospel, you've been teaching scripture, you've been talking about over the years processing pain. Okay, is it is it real or is it a faux faith? Mm-hmm. And you know, Ed, you said part of navigating through this is reaching out to the family of God, being connected to a thriving church body. One of the things that I think can happen is parents who have a child who's struggling with an addiction or uh, you name it, you fill in the blank there, they feel like they can't be honest about that with their church family. Exactly. And some even leave church, you know, yeah. because they feel like right. I'm going to be judged. I feel like I yep. failed. How did you even navigate that? The stakes were even higher That's for you question. as someone in leadership. You know, when, Lee Beth passed, we had even family members say, well, just say it was a medical issue. Mm. And we could not do that. We have been as authentic as we possibly could be in the past, and we're going to continue that. So we decided hours, I mean, well, usually probably a day after Lee Beth passed away that we were going to tell what and why and how. It wasn't easy. Because it's like here, you know, we've preached about the family. We've written books about the family and books about marriage and this and that and whatever. And now you're talking about, okay, our oldest daughter, who was a leader at Fellowship Church, had these issues and it ended up taking her life. That's like, you know, wow. Mm. So I, I know the evil, the evil one did not want us to do it because he knew the results of it. So I would just tell people who feel like, oh man, I'm not going to share that. It's like the old line, you know, we're only as sick as our secret. So it was liberating for us and our family, although it was very difficult to do it. I'm so glad we were honest and completely transparent about it. If I could add to that about the church and the importance of the body of Christ, it can be intimidating when you're going through situations to show up faithfully at church, knowing that you have things that are just ugly going on in your life, maybe not in your personal life for you, but your child's life, your spouse, whatever. The church is a hospital. It is a place we come to for healing and for support and for learning and growth. And isolation is what the devil wants. He wants you to feel like nobody understands, people will judge Mm -hmm. you, and that you're not good enough to be involved in the church. And that is so wrong. And you have to be very careful not to put that on the church. Is it because that's the reality of the church, or is that because that's how you feel? Feelings cannot be trusted. You have to base your life on the truth of God's word. And so often we don't feel things. I don't, Ed and I all, don't always feel in love. What? We, 
Oh, you've said that yourself, so don't act surprised. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? Love is a feeling that ebb and flows, but we have that steel surface of commitment that is just, that's what holds it together. And so the Bible is so raw and real about issues that people in the Bible struggled with. Even Job, I love the fact I had read the book of Job and heard teachings on the book of Job, but Job, who was known as an up, a righteous man, someone who loved God, at the very end, after all of the things that he had gone through, Job said, God, I didn't really know you. You're the creator of the yes. universe. You are, you are so much bigger than I even knew. And that is true for me, too. God is bigger than the struggles that Lee Beth had, the struggles that any of our children have. People you know, may not be aware, we have a son who has a genetic disorder called neurofibromatosis. He's had health issues his entire life. Our daughter, Landra, struggled with self-esteem and even an eating disorder when she was in high school. These are just things that are a part of life. Those are the painful situations as a part of life. And the church is the hope of the world. And I'm not saying that because I'm a pastor's wife. That's that's kind of expected. I'm a church kid. I'm the product of a family who had a lot of issues. My mom and dad even had marriage issues, and their marriage probably would have ended in divorce if they had not leaned in to the local church. Mm. So I can't stress that enough. Ed and I have been on the receiving end of the prayers, the support, the love of the church, and we've seen others who've also received that from the church. Lisa, what about when someone's experience of the church has been that there's been judgment? And Mm -hmm. I appreciate you being so vulnerable about some of the things that you and your family walk through. But there seems to be this narrative, like if you follow God, if you pray for your kids, if you dedicate them, if you do it right, yeah, they're going to walk with God always. And sometimes people feel that. And it's not just maybe what they feel. There might even be people in the church that sort of reinforce that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, there's this uh, a whole vibe out there in Christianity. It's not biblical. I guess it's partly biblical, but it's not totally biblical. Like if I have a faith, as you said, or if I walk this way and, and do these things, then I'm going to emerge from life unscathed. And that's not true. You think about the Apostle Paul's thorn in the flesh. You think about the struggles and the mistakes that Abraham made and Isaac and Simon Peter and on and on and on and on. And then you think about, as I alluded to earlier, the worst thing happened to the best person, Jesus. So we are going to experience pain and turmoil. And sadly, there's some people in the church who will say, yeah, the reason that you are dealing with this pain is that there's some sin in your life or a demon or whatever. And that and that stuff's bogus. Most churches, I believe, get it right, in my opinion. You're going to have anomalies. You're going to have people that that are you know kind of crazy or mean-spirited or whatever. And I kind of equate it to a restaurant. At least I love to go out to eat. And we've had some bad experiences in a couple of restaurants. But after those bad experiences, we didn't say, well, I'm never going to go out to eat again. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're going to have some churches that aren't hitting on all cylinders. I get it. But you know, there are great churches. Most churches 
are phenomenal. Mm -hmm. There's some that aren't, but most are. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say to people. Let me ask you, how did you two navigate these challenges in marriage? I've seen situations where uh, walking through difficult parenting seasons can really split a couple apart. They start blaming each other. They have different philosophies on how to handle it. And then I told you, you should do that. Right. So, what what did that look at like first, for you guys? I think at first, you, it it we discovered it, it it draws you really close together, and then you grieve in separate ways, and that is when marital drift can happen. And thankfully, we had a counselor who met with us, and she actually my therapist was Lee Beth's therapist, mm-hmm. and so I decided that that would be who I saw after this. And I would highly recommend that everyone go through counseling or have some type of Christian counseling that they can lean into. But uh, our counselor warned us about marital drift. And I think being prepared for it and being aware of the possibility helps you prepare for it. And so Ed and I were very strategic in sharing our emotions, which is not really easy for me. It's a lot easier for Ed, which is kind of funny in that with me being the Mm -hmm. female, usually women are better at expressing, but Ed was. And I just, I feel like we, again, it goes back to that commitment that we were not going to allow anything. We haven't thus far to get in the way of our relationship. And we've taught this for 30 some odd years as we've been in ministry. Ed and I have been married for 42 years and there's always something that can pull you apart. And the more we focused on our relationship with God, the more we focused on our relationship with others, I mean with our spouse and then others, that set the stage for us being healthy in our marriage, even to the point which this... You, you you share a lot about intimacy and sexuality and all of that, even to the point of when you have a child who's passed away and in those days following, what is intimacy going to look like? Mm-hmm. What is sex going to look like? And that's, I remember just thinking, how can you go from grief to passion with your spouse? And those are all things that are dealt with through open and honest communication. Mm-hmm. And you you may need a counselor to walk you through that as you Absol- mentioned. Well, I, Ed and I are huge proponents of Christian counseling from the get-go in marriage. Mm-hmm. And especially for Ed and I, we have trusted friends that we can share with. But in ministry, you know, it's a tedious tightrope to walk on who we allow into the intimate parts of our lives. And a counselor is a very safe person. Lisa, I'm thinking about parents that I know who are in the throes of some of this right now, and their children are still alive, but making choices that might be self-destructive, that are grieving these parents' hearts. What does it practically look like to care and love for your child ferociously, but yet let go and not not cling to the belief that there's something we can say or do to change the course of what's happening. Parenting is, 
challenging on every front. And you'll have some who are dealing with children who are under the age of 18. And I say that because that does make a difference in your control over your child. And when I say control over your child, I mean the parenting aspect. Lee Beth was an adult child, and that adds a layer of complexity. So she was able to make her own choices. We only had a limited amount of support or intervention, Mm -hmm. so to speak. We could support her in everything. We made it clear to her that we loved her, that we were there for her. But within that, we also set some boundaries. And it was kind of tedious because she worked at the church. There was one season when she was not healthy, and we said that she needed to step aside, that this was a a lifestyle that she could not be doing and working at the church, which she did step aside. And I would just say, look at your children as these gifts from God and parent them with a commitment that stays the same. In other words, your commitment is to teach your children and train your children to love the Lord with all their heart. And then secondly, is to take care of their physical needs and emotional needs and to let them feel your love. That is the same thing for an adult child. But as I said, it just has a little bit more complexities. And Ed and I did not approve of Libeth's behavior, but we loved her as deeply during that time as we did when she was the Honor Society high school graduate. Mm -hmm. And that love stays consistent. That commitment to parents stays consistent, but you have to remain constant with the truth of God's word. Her behavior did not line with scripture. And so it was our responsibility to guide her back toward the appropriate truth in her life. And that's that's tough to have love and disagreement operating at yes, the same it is. time. It's like it's like that, you know, you you build bridges of love and you draw lines in the sand. And yeah. that's that's not an exact art, but as parents, we do that on a, on a micro level, but when you have major issues, it that 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 macro level is, is challenging. I'd like to just say, and this is a very raw and real picture of how this played out in our lives. Lee Beth passed away January nineteenth, and the Christmas prior, which was just a few weeks prior. Everyone gathered at our house. It was our year to have everybody because the kids go to their in-laws and stuff. And she came over and she struggled with the fact that she was single and her siblings Mm -hmm. were married Mm -hmm. and she was the oldest. So that was one of the things that she really struggled with. And that morning she came over and I didn't realize that she was not healthy at the time that she had started back drinking. Neither Ed nor I did. Our our Other kids suspected it, but we did not know. And her attitude, her words toward her siblings, it was just, it was not good. And it was harsh and it was just messing up the morning. It it was like, what happened? Like, talk to us. So Ed and I took her back to our bedroom and just sat down and said, look, what's going on? And she had all these angry reasons why she was saying what she was saying and doing what she was doing. And we listened, 
We talked through some of it, and then we gave her an option. You can choose to stay, and we're going to have a wonderful day and love each other and put differences aside. Or if you feel like you need to, you can go back home. Mm. And that's a very hard conversation. Yeah. But it was, I felt like we did the right thing Mm -hmm. in drawing a line in the sand and saying, we want you here. We love you. We want you to be a part. The whole family wants you to be a part. But if you can't manage it, then perhaps you need to go back home. And she ended up staying and there was an attitude shift, ended up being a pleasant day. And so for that, I'm very grateful. I've forgotten that, but you're right. Yeah, I brought back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure looking back uh, on that memory is, is bittersweet for you. Like It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Those last weeks leading up to that time, that's where you start swimming in regret, thinking, what if I had mm-hmm. had her move in with us? Yeah. Or what if yeah. I had done certain things that are different. And when you look at your past parenting experiences, some are going to be great and some are not going to be so great. And learn from what you can, learn what you can from those not so great situations and decide what you can change. And then there's some things you can't change. Ed and I cannot go back in our parenting of Lee Beth and change anything for the future, but we can learn from it and share it appropriately. But our therapist said, don't get too bogged down in your regret because then you'll have guilt and guilt is a lie of the enemy. Guilt brings about shame and shame holds you captive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No matter what your sin is, no matter what you've done wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, you, Go into this guilty mode. Confess your sin. Receive the forgiveness that the Lord gives us and move on in the victory that he wants us to walk in. But so many of us, we ask for forgiveness. We maybe feel forgiven for a bit, but we still let that cycle of regret and and guilt, and then it moves into shame. And we're literally, you know, handicapped by it. Hmm. So what you're saying is there's a brief season to do some reflection, confess, and ask God to bring to our hearts what we yes. might need to lay before Him. And then once and and it's not even just a brief season. Mm-hmm. It may just be. It may continue. You may. Ha- I may have thoughts now of something that happened in the past, and I have to deal with it at this moment, two and a half years later after her passing. That's just the nature of humanity we're constantly reminded of our imperfections mm-hmm. but god's grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in our weakness so god has taken our weaknesses the weakness of our daughter passing away and this not mm-hmm. being the story that we wanted to be telling and he's using it for his glory and he's bringing people into our lives that never would have given us an ear but they see wow, you can experience this tragedy and still live with joy and live with peace and know that God is still good, even in the face of such horrible circumstances. Mm -hmm. Ed, you write in the book about, and you already mentioned it even, that Jesus is our anchor. You talk about 
how a lot of us have plastic anchors that aren't going to hold. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we do. Yeah. I wonder if you would just give some practical advice. What does it actually look like to make God my anchor? It begins, obviously, with a relationship. You know, it's not about religion. It's a relationship. So you have to come to a point in time where you admit the obvious to God, which is confession. That's what it means to agree with God about your condition. Turn from that turn from my sin, believe that Jesus died on the cross for our iniquities, for our shortcomings, for our sins, rose again, and you have to come to a point where you say, okay, Jesus, I acquiesce, I surrender my life to you, I trust you with the totality of who I am. And some people will say, well, I'm not certain. Well, well, faith and certainty don't go together because if we had certainty, there would be no faith. There would be no trust. So we have to trust in Christ. And once we make that decision, just supernaturally, the the anchor is tossed overboard. The anchor is in the rock, the rock being Jesus, and the anchor holds, yet If we don't do that, what happens is we go through life, like I did when I was younger, I I tried to make a homemade anchor using clothesline and a Clorox bottle filled to the brim with sand. It just didn't work. I tried it in my boat. It just, it was a disaster. So a lot of us are using these clotheslines and Clorox bottles to try to stabilize our lives, whether it's fame or fortune or this sexual buzz or this hit or whatever it is, and they don't grip, they don't grasp. There's nothing solid. Jesus, again, is our rock. He is our anchor. He is our hope. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. And that decision, that initial decision to receive him has to happen in a person's life. And then from there, we we rely on that anchor. We we realize, as I said a second ago or a while back, that the rogue winds will hit and the storms will strike. And the the harder the wind blows, the deeper it goes. And we have the promise and the confidence in Jesus that takes us through. That's why it's called a path through pain through the pain. It doesn't mean that we we end up on the other side without any pain. All of us all of us have pain and those painful areas are soft to the touch. They might be for the rest of our lives, and many times they are. But we have a purpose and a promise behind it. And that is the person of Jesus who totally identifies and who totally understands our pain on a level that we that we can't even comprehend. Mm-hmm. That's what I would how, that's what I would say. How has your time with God been different these last two years? It is uh Lisa and I would definitely say it has been deeper that we're storing around a lot, but you know, deeper even 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 more more intimate. I think Lisa, you say great 
about even worship, it is, I think it's definitely changed our worship and even the way we worship and what we think about when we worship. It's made eternity even more real. I think it's given us a greater faith and and even a greater risk-taking component in our lives, risk-taking in a good way. Mm-hmm. Meaning like to share Jesus. Yeah, to share Jesus it's or like- to do things and to follow the leadings of the Holy Spirit that maybe, you know, we, we would have said beforehand, well, I want to play it safe or that's too big of a deal or whatever. I would uh, say that in my relationship with the Lord, I want to rewind to when I was a child. I was nine years old when I gave my life to Christ. I wasn't like a bank robber or a heavy drug user or drinker when I was nine years old. You know, in the 1960s, I think nine-year-olds were probably a lot more innocent. Uh, Julie, Lisa barely even sinned. But I look back and I think, you know, I, I gave my life to Christ and just did basic Christianity, Christianity 101, which Mm -hmm. is be a part of a local church, uh, study the Bible. Ed taught me about journaling. We were high school sweethearts, so we've known each other for a long time, and and he impressed that upon me. He's always been a journaler, a writer. So I started that, and, and just the basic things of faith. You don't really count them for what they really mean, until you need them to mean something big. And I'll explain it this way. When the day that Lee Beth passed away, people started coming to our home, you know, the proverbial, let's bring a pot of soup, let's do this, uh, bring flowers, whatever. Which was great. Oh, you know, it's it's awesome. unbelievable yeah. what a casserole means. Mm. I, I I can't even express it. But someone mm. stopped me in our hallway and said, Lisa you just can't prepare for something like this. And I agreed. I said, oh, I know you're right. I, I mean, I just, I don't know. And it was a couple of weeks later, maybe a month or so later, it was like the Holy spirit just spoke to me and said, Lisa, you've been preparing for something like this mm-hmm. since you trusted me as your savior. And that's a hard, I mean, I get emotional even thinking about it, but I mean, God didn't cause this to happen, but he equipped me and he equipped Ed for the day that it did happen. And by that, I mean, all of those times where I was sitting, listening to good sermons and not so good sermons and some that were maybe a little boring, some that were well, just- Well, be careful. I, it was another pastor. Oh, okay, okay. It was my childhood okay. pastor, I'm yeah, sure. I'm and and those times in youth group and those times where I was a part of a Bible study and I was journaling and, and being generous with our tithes and offerings, all of those things were like a bank deposit of faith. Mm-hmm. And when this tragedy happened, Ed and I had to dig into that bank account mm-hmm. like never before. <clears throat> and so that's how you prepare for it. Lisa, that's a word for all of us. Um, one is. of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 32. And there David says, do seek the Lord now before the waters come because yes. they're coming. And um, 
that's an important reminder that all all the investment we make in our walk with the Lord and our marriages in our Christian community, they prepare us for the moment like this. Yes. Isn't that true? Mm-hmm. That's a great point, Julie. Yes. Great. Well, I just want to thank you for your vulnerability and your willingness, like I said, just to so quickly pivot from while we're wallowing in in our own grief and sadness to saying, God, how would you use this to encourage others? So thank you for your willingness to do that. Well, Julie, you ask great questions and there's, there's no doubt you walk with the Lord and, and, and this is, this is a lot of fun, even though it's tough to talk about this, talking with you, you do a great job. Yes. Thank you so much for allowing us to share this Mm -hmm. story. And our prayer is that people will maybe, um, associate their pain and and be bonded by their pain to what we share in the book and through it all know that God is still good. God is still sovereign and he will walk with us every single step and he prayerfully he will be honored in it all. I think the overall message Ed and Lisa want you to know is that God is with you. He's present in your pain. He's present in your grief and your hard questions. Whether you see it or not, He is working in you. He's working in your life. And He wants to use you to impact the life of others as they watch you navigate the pain that you're facing. Ask Him to show you how He wants to work. He's going to show you. Now, if you'd like to follow up and hear more from Ed and Lisa, I encourage you to check out their book, A Path Through Pain. We've also included a link to a blog post in the podcast notes called How to Heal and Grow, Four Surprising Pathways to Christlikeness. Let me remind you, if you're an authentic MSC member, we've got Second Cup coming up on March 5th. At this member-only Zoom webinar, we're going to be talking about some of the things we've covered on the podcast, like what it looks like to struggle with sexual sin and still submit to Jesus. We're going to talk about the conversation we had today on How do you practically know Jesus in your pain? And we're also going to talk about next week's episode, which is one that I'm really excited about. It's a discussion on gender. We'll talk about gender from a biblical perspective and how we've gotten to the place that we are in our society with some of the conclusions we've reached on gender. You know, friends, these are the kinds of topics that people wonder about. And so we want you to be equipped not only in your own life, but as you have conversations with your friends, your neighbors, and family members in a Christ-honoring way. So I really encourage you to join us for that second cup. If you're a member of Authentic Intimacy and you want to join Second Cup, you can sign up at the link in the show notes. And if you're not a member yet, we have a link in the show notes where you can learn more about membership and become a member. Well, friend, that's all I've got for you today. Hey, thanks for joining me. And I look forward to having coffee with you next time for more Java with Julie.